0: I'm Aaron Henkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau.
1: My name is Stacey Gilbert. My question is, what's up with Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities?
0: Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities, a little-known attraction here in Baltimore, and it's down here in the Otterbine neighborhood. You and I are just around the block in Otterbine. You know this neighborhood? Is this a familiar
1: area of town for you? It is a new area of town to me, and I am new to town. I just moved to this area. Congratulations. Welcome to Baltimore. Uh, Otterbein
0: is kind of just east of the baseball stadium down here in the downtown area. Red brick row houses all over, uh, a downtown living. And uh, you've heard of this place, Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities. It's in the back of a record store down here. Uh, Have you been inside? Have you ventured in?
1: I have. It was um, very dark, and I just went into it for the first time three months ago.
0: Have you ever met the guy who's the mastermind behind this collection of oddities?
1: I have not.
0: Here's the irony. You've been in there and seen this crypt of curiosities. I am embarrassed to say I've never gotten in there yet. You don't know the guy who runs it, but I go way back with this guy. His name is Chris LaMartina. And I cannot wait to uh, go in there with you, introduce you to Chris, and to, for me to get to experience this for the first time and for you to get to uh, talk to Chris about uh, what's piqued your own curiosity.
1: I think this was meant to be. Protean Books and
0: Records, that's the shop that uh, Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities is in the back of. In we go. It looks like a record shop. After you. As we walk to the back of this record shop,
1: there is a sign that says, in creepy script, Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities, and there is an archway covered by a black curtain. Well, I will tell
0: you, Stacy, that uh, pretending to stare innocently at books over there. Is uh, someone I'd like to introduce you to? That's Chris Lamartina. He is the man behind Hi. Dr. Hi. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities. Chris, meet uh, Stacy.
2: Hi. Nice, to meet, nice you, to meet you. Thanks so much for asking this question and coming down to check out the crypt. Thank
1: you for being here. This is like my my nightmares are coming true. <laughs> so, Stacy, let me have you explain to Chris
0: like how this place ended up on your radar and what what sort of interaction you've had with it thus far.
1: So, I'd read about this on Atlas Obscura, but for for some reason, I just never got around to coming here. I don't live in Baltimore. But a couple of months ago, we got my son and I got lost. We saw a warehouse with a neon sign that said books, games, and videos, and people walking in and out. So I asked some people walking out what it was. They said Protean Books, and I was like, no way. (laughs) So I spent a couple of hours here, and then after that, I wandered around the neighborhood and kind of fell in love with the little parks and the cobblestone streets, and I decided I would live here. So a month ago, I closed on a house that is two streets away because of this place.
2: That's insane. Well, thank you so much. Holy cow. Wow. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that.
0: <laughs> well, I feel like that deserves a, a personal tour. Uh, before we pass the threshold, anything you want to say to prepare us as visitors? Just try not to touch anything or it might touch you back. So. <laughs> Very dim lighting in here. We have some red and purple and blue and green lights. Uh, And just through the gloom, you can see uh, all kinds of artifacts. And uh, let me invite you, Chris, to uh, walk us through some of your favorite exhibits that you like to uh, share the stories of. All right. So... The
2: vampire skeleton that we have in the center of the room was actually from an attraction in Harper's Ferry uh, known as the Haunted Cottage. And Vince Wilson, the magician that ran that exhibit, when it closed, this was all in storage. And when I contacted him to ask if he had anything we could have, he gave me the vampire skeleton, the severed tentacle. He also gave me a bunch of like Roswell newspaper clippings, a bunch of crazy stuff. And it was all because, you know, there's this community of weirdos that uh, exist to share wild experiences and really weird stuff. And Um, And that's what Vince helped me do at this place. So a lot of folks really like the third nipple of Elvis Presley. That's the one that people really get a kick out of. Um, There's also the Squatchness Monster, which is a little mini um, Sasquatch Loch Ness Monster hybrid. Um, You know, we have Bigfoot casts. We have um, cursed paintings. We have spirit photography. Basically anything weird you can think of in a, uh, what is this, like 15 feet by 15 feet? We crammed as much as we could in here.
0: I happen to know that you've got an interesting uh, story that goes along with your attraction to the macabre. Uh, Let me have you talk about your career as a filmmaker uh, and an artist in your own right. Sure, so um,
2: I've been making low budget, no budget horror movies probably for coming up on 20 years now in Baltimore. And um, so a while back, the reason why this place even exists is because um, my wife and I were on our honeymoon in New Orleans and we ended up going to an attraction called the Abita Mystery House.
0: I have to pause you here and have you tell Stacy the story of uh, how you met your wife?
2: <laughs> My wife was the lead actress in a film I made called Call Girl of Cthulhu. And
0: uh, we fell in love together while making that film. <laughs> She's Chris's Elvira, yeah. his muse. Uh. Uh, a horror icon in her own right. So you guys are you are married, you're on your honeymoon, you're uh, seeking out uh, entertaining and creepy uh, distractions for yourselves, I presume? Yes,
2: yeah, so we ended up going to this house in, in the middle of Abita Springs called the Abita Mystery House, and it's just super weird, very sort of like folklore, very AVAM type stuff all over the place. And um, they had like Daryl the Doggator, and they had this giant crashed flying saucer, And as we were walking around this attraction, I just started thinking. I was like, oh my gosh, like what I want to do when when Melissa and I are retired? I want to turn part of our house into like a, a oddities museum or something weird like that.
0: And that thought that popped into Chris's head on his honeymoon, that thought grew into Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities. It didn't end up in Chris's home, but here at Protean Books, where Chris pulled back the curtain for the first time to the public in 2016. The items in this museum may be of dubious origin, but they all have elaborate stories documenting their strange provenance. Same with the museum itself, Here's what Chris tells visitors about how he came into possession of his collection. So the original Crypt
2: of Curiosities was first opened in 1954 in Greencastle, Indiana, by Augustus Gloom, Dr.
0: Augustus Gloom. And this Dr. Gloom, Chris says, had a morbid interest in death customs. At a young age, his classmates took to calling him Gloomy Gus, but he only became more obsessed with delving into the bizarre. Gloom doubled down on this peculiar hobbies
2: and began to amass the most incredible collection of outlandish artifacts in the continental United States.
0: Eventually, Dr. Gloom turned that collection into a museum. He deputized his sister, Beatrice, to attend to the daily operations of the place while he was out exploring the world for oddities. But then, in 1977, tragedy struck.
2: Dr. Gloom was killed in a freak Ferris wheel accident while on a sideshow gaff-buying expedition
0: in, um, I believe, somewhere in Michigan. The story goes that Gloom's grieving sister Beatrice gave her late brother's collection to a library in Alabama. But then, a decade later, it was purchased by a cryptozoology enthusiast named Gina Mean Jean Bartoli.
2: She converted her garage in Delaware to what would become the modern Crypt of Curiosities. But in the winter of 2015, that's when I met Miss Bartoli. And basically, she had seen my film, Call Girl of Cthulhu, and uh, she asked if I had any interest in maintaining the museum upon her retirement. So I agreed on the condition that I would move the museum from Delaware to Baltimore City. And uh, that is where it has been. This is the fourth incarnation of Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities right here.
0: Now, you can choose to believe that story or not, But it does make the place more intriguing, right? Chris says that's the point
2: the story is the most important part, right? I mean, I can put a, a wooden hammer next to a box of garlic, but it doesn't matter much unless I tell you it's a vampire hunting kit. And I think in this room there are so many pieces that the plaque is more important than the object at hand, even visually, right? Um, so, like, you know, and, there, and a lot of the things around here do look kind of cool by themselves. Like, we have uh, an ancient scroll that would be used to raise a mummy from the dead. Um, we have um, uh, eagles with horns. You know, we've got Fiji mermaid. We have two Fiji mermaids, all kinds of stuff. But it's ultimately like if you don't read what you're you're taking in, you're you're missing out on a huge portion of the greatness of, of the imagination.
0: <laughs> there is a certain mutually agreed upon suspension of disbelief that's understood when you walk into a place like Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities. Chris says it boils down to the importance of magic in our lives. He feels like there's a baked in part of us that wants to believe in the otherworldly.
2: It's why we have Santa Claus. It's why we set out leprechaun traps in March. Um, Really, that experience of having fun together and using our imaginations is so incredibly important, especially in in darker times, right? There's a lot to be depressed about in the world, but there's a lot to find inspiration and joy from if we can just sort of tune out the, the realism for just a second.
1: Several years ago, I remember going to a place called the American Dime Museum here in Baltimore, and it closed down, I don't know how many years ago, but it was a museum dedicated to like sideshow stuff. Is any of this stuff from there?
2: It's not, actually, but I do know James Taylor, and actually they're about to open up a new museum in um, Havre de Grace with a lot of James's collections. So that'll be, I believe it's called First Call Paranormal Museum, and uh, that'll be opening up this summer. So that's kind of incredible. And um, actually, this is kind of interesting, too. So this is kind of, this might break your heart a little bit. This is all very shocking, though. So I got a text at 2 a.m. last night, basically from Matt at Protean saying that I needed to get everything out of here because they might be changing the lease situation here. So I spent all morning—this is all very serendipitous, very serendipitous— I spent all morning talking with my buddy Brian Goodman, who's involved with the First Call Paranormal Museum, that actually a lot of this might be going up there if this does end up closing. But I hope it doesn't, because for your sake.
1: (laughs) I bought a house here because of the Crypt of Curiosities. I can't just pack up and move. I don't even know where that is.
2: I mean, Havre de Grace is a very beautiful city.
1: (laughs) But it's not Baltimore.
2: That's 100% true. (laughs) So,
0: I guess I should pause here and say to our listener Stacy, I promise I did not bring you to meet Chris LaMartina just to have him personally pop your balloon. And um, like you, I'll, I'll say I was bummed to hear about the possible demise of Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities. But this episode isn't over yet. And it is my hope that we can bring some redemption to this story. It turns out attractions like these, they have their ups and downs, but they survive. They find a way to survive. And after the break, I'm going to share some archival audio from Baltimore's now-gone American Dime Museum, and then we're going to trek up to Havard Grace to catch up with one of the Dime Museum's founders and see what he's got up his sleeve these days. You're tuned to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. More in a moment. If you've been in Baltimore long enough, you might remember a little storefront spot on the 1800 block of Maryland Avenue. It was called the American Dime Museum. You heard our listener, Stacy, mention it to Chris. Well, this place shut its doors in 2006, but it turns out, back then I was working on another show called The Signal, and we had an intern. Her name was Cody Brownson Katz, and Cody was fascinated by this place, the American Dime Museum and she paid a visit there just a few months before it closed. I found the old CD master of that show from December of 2005, and here is Cody's story.
3: When you step off Maryland Avenue and climb the marble steps to the museum's front door, you're greeted by a taxidermied bear sporting a jaunty chapeau and Mardi Gras beads, which sort of sets the tone for the rest of your visit. A sign reads, Welcome to a world where the strange is typical, the bizarre happens every day, and the amazing is the least you should expect. And sitting comfortably amidst the oddities and curios is a man who sets down his newspaper and doesn't hesitate to introduce himself.
4: Hi, I'm Dick Horn, and I'm director of the American Dime Museum. The American Dime Museum is the only museum like it in the world. It's actually a recreation of a 19th century American museum, and those museums were collections of anything the public would pay 10 cents to see, hence the name Dime
3: Museums. Horn winds his way through a maze of exhibits that range from a Peruvian Amazon mummy to a two-headed calf to a half-alligator, half-human gator gal. There's a certain amount of good-natured hokum involved in running a dime museum, and when the museum director points out some of his favorite oddities, I have to wonder, is he putting me on?
4: This uh, has been positively uh, verified by the director of the Sydney Museum in Australia as being real. It's the mummified hand of an English prisoner near Sydney, Australia in the early 19th century who actually kept spider eggs in a ring and would release them uh, into the wardens' and the jailers' hair and bedding and so forth. They called her uh, Spider Lily. So this is that right hand of Spider Lily, which is a wonderful title. And with it is the detailed story. And this was typical, too, of early museums and roadside attractions. They not only would have the object but they'd have a long story about where it came from and who it belonged to.
3: Horn's little row house operation owes a lot to his predecessor, P.T. Barnum, a man whose grand museum set the bar for all who dared to follow.
4: He had a menagerie with elephants and giraffes. He had giants, midgets, Siamese twins. had an aquarium with live whales in it, art galleries, almost anything the public could possibly want to see they could find in that one museum.
3: But things began to change as competing forms of entertainment like vaudeville and burlesque grew out of the museums and poached their audiences.
4: So they packed up their collections, or entertainers, and took them on the road with circuses and carnivals. And many of them became the traveling sideshows of the 20th century. That's why we also incorporate a sideshow here uh, in our museum. Uh, matter of fact, many of those sideshows during the winter months would rent a storefront and become a, a museum again for the winter. Uh, So they were a a very creative bunch of folks that ran them. We like to think we follow in that tradition.
3: Horn has a gray beard and weathered hands that he rubs together absently as he chats about his collected oddities, like wax heads and jewelry made from human hair. And there's a puckish twinkle in his eyes when he recalls his childhood here in Baltimore.
4: The Maryland Academy of Sciences had a wonderful museum in Druid Hill Park in a wooden building behind the elephant cages. I visited that often as a kid. I could have lived in the place. It had eagles nests on top of poles and it had whale skeletons hanging from the ceiling and indian skeletons in cases on the floor and dioramas with dinosaurs and cavemen. I loved it. And I found that that same sort of love of learning is true in this museum too. We're enormously popular with kids. You would think being surrounded by uh, mummies and and Two-headed calves would frighten them. It actually is just the reverse. They're fascinated by it.
3: So this is interesting. We have artwork uh, in this room off here to the side. What?
4: This is a collection of finger paintings by Betsy the chimp. Uh, Betsy the chimp was enormously popular in the 1950s. Uh, she lived in the Baltimore Zoo. But anyway, Betsy was very much promoted as a talented finger painter, and she very much uh, irritated a lot of the abstract expressionist painters at the time because the average person looking at this really couldn't decide whether it was done by a famous abstract expressionist or by Betsy the Chimp. And it was a great deal of fun. She was famous all over the world. She was uh, critiqued by such luminaries as Salvador Dali. Couldn't stand her. So she made enemies in the art world which naturally made friends in the regular world.
3: Horn has always sought to cultivate a sense of wonder and disbelief at the American Dime Museum. He says museums can't help but be educational places, but they ought to inspire the imagination as well.
4: The word museum comes from two words. Eum means place of or home of. Mausoleum is the home of the dead. But museums were the home of the muses which when you think about it isn't particularly stuffy or educational or whatever. It's sort of a nice way to think of what museums are. No matter what kind of museum you are, I feel like you're entertaining.
3: Despite its isolation from most of Baltimore's popular tourist attractions, the American Dime Museum has entertained a steady stream of visitors over the past six years. But last month, Horn broke the news that the museum will most likely need to close its doors permanently at the end of the year.
4: When you do something like this with such a small and all-volunteer staff, and you're so new in it, you learn what your strengths and what your weaknesses are. We feel that we've really given the public a museum that's both educational and fun. Uh, Where we're not good is in raising money, and unfortunately that's an important aspect of any museum. We've pretty much exhausted all of our attempts at raising operating money. It doesn't mean that we haven't missed someone somewhere. But if someone stepped up with a a promise to fund us for a year, we would certainly stay open. It's it's not written in stone that we will close.
3: At the end of our visit, Horn shows me an often overlooked artifact. He says it reminds him that folks in the sideshow business somehow always manage to keep things going.
4: Uh, Those little bits of skin came from a snake that killed Sailor Catsey. Sailor Catsey had an enormous python that they tour, he and his wife toured with the enor- enormous python until one day, for some reason, the snake killed Sailor Catsey. His wife came out and found Sailor dead in the backyard and the snake up in a tree. So like any grieving widow, she instantly took the snake on the road as the snake that killed Sailor Catsey. Where it was a huge attraction, then, unfortunately, the snake, too, died. So she exhibited its head as the head of the snake that killed Sailor Catsey and sold its skin as the skin of the snake that killed Sailor Catsy, And uh, an enterprising young man took that skin, cut it up into little pieces, so we have some skin from the snake that killed Sailor Catsey.
1: Nothing goes to waste.
4: Nothing goes to waste. <laughs> Everything is a story. If you can think up a story about it, it belongs in a... Sideshow.
0: That story was from what 17 years ago. What's it like to listen back to Dick Horn's voice and and to remember that place? Well,
5: Back from the Dead has many levels of meaning, I suppose, and that certainly was for me. It's the first time I've I've heard my uh, my late partner's voice in many years as a matter of fact.
0: This is James Taylor listening back to that archival audio of his American Dime Museum partner Dick Horn who passed away a few years ago. I've driven up to the town of Havre de Grace in Northeast Maryland, where James is, as fate would have it, getting ready to open up a new museum of oddities. I'm one of the,
5: uh, uh, the individuals criminally responsible for uh, the impending first call uh, Paranormal and Oddities Museum uh, set to open up here this summer, 2022, uh, in Havre de Grace, Maryland, right here on
0: the, uh, the scenic Upper Chesapeake Bay. James, you and I are sitting right now in an uh, impromptu headquarters here on the uh, main tourist street in Havre de Grace. This is not going to be the uh, destination of your final museum. It's going to be down the street, but this is where everything is in storage. We're sitting here on a couple of folding chairs surrounded by heads in jars, uh, all kinds of display cases with amazing oddities. I don't know. I feel like I've been brought behind the curtain at some sort of uh, magic shop. <laughs> Talk about this collection and just sort of how it's grown and accrued over the years. There's a number of of attractions piled
5: in here from all sorts of locations and and previous museums and and such. But uh, there's also a lot of things in here as well, which I'm really happy about that were on display at the American Dime Museum, such as what I'm sitting right next to here, which is uh, the Madagascar Watson, which was uh, purportedly this this demonic fish that jumped on board a vessel and proceeded to eat the ship's cat and uh, bite into the ankles of a number of uh, sailors on board.
0: It's uh, some sort of a petrified uh, marine creature of dubious origins. Uh, And you mentioned the description. The description is really, I think, perhaps where the magic of a Dime Museum exhibition takes hold. Yeah, talk about the importance of the stories that go with the items that you see. Well, Barnum's line, to paraphrase the old man, was that
5: the object didn't matter. It was the story behind the object. I mean, you you look at a pile of spare change in a showcase, and it's just metal money. And then you look at the story and it starts telling you about the spare change that Kennedy had in his pocket when the day he was assassinated. And then you start noticing that all the dates on the coins are prior to 1963. And all of a sudden, it's not just a pile of change anymore. Now, is that change really what came out of Kennedy's pocket? I don't know. Come on,
0: work with me here. So James, we're here on uh, Congress Avenue in uh, picturesque Havre de Grace. You got the Susquehanna River right there uh, next to us. And we're standing in front of this uh, warehouse building that uh, you have a vision for. There's people in here working on this space right now. What What is gonna be happening in here?
5: Yeah, it's, it's a grand and glorious space, probably the most room I've had for any of the museums I've, I've had in years past. Uh, it's plus or minus about 3,000 square feet. Ceiling's are like 20-some feet high. So we're going to banner the ceiling out and proscenium arch stage one end. And there'll be tableaus devoted to uh, an assortment of
0: um, cryptid and other creepy sort of things. Let's step inside. And just from the echo, I believe, in here, you're going to get a sense of how big... This space is, listen to that. I mean, this is like the size of a movie theater.
5: Oh yeah, it'll be be the grandest and most glorious movie theater in the entire state of Maryland.
0: We're looking at uh, drywall going up. We've got two by fours all over the floor. You got a couple of guys working back here. Paint a picture with words about what you envision this place to look like and feel like when it
5: all comes together. Oh geez, this is going to be a, a, an amazing space. Uh, you'll come in through the glass front doors, we're hoping to have the world's largest rubber band ball mounted on a stand. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to case out pretty much the entire uh, floor plan. It's going to be a pretty amazing thing no matter how you cut it. We'll have rotating exhibitions and tableaus devoted to all the weird, the strange, the bizarre, the odd and the unusual.
0: When are people going to be able to walk in and uh, see it in all of its finished glory?
5: Well, the First Call Paranormal and Oddities Museum is destined to open
0: this summer, 2022. Have you had an opportunity to visit Chris LaMartina's Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities in Baltimore? Oh, indeed. I have visited Dr. Gloom's. It's been a little while, but uh, I
5: was really I was really impressed. It's uh, oh, oh, sort of like that darkened light news things you can sort of see but not quite make out in the showcases. Yeah, I, I love all that stuff.
0: So, James, when we visited with Chris LaMartina at Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities, he kind of dropped a bomb on us and said he may or may not be able to stay in that space for more than another couple of months Leases are coming up. Condos are maybe going to get built. And he, it was the morning when we talked to him, he had gotten a text that was like, you might have to pack up and, you know, figure out something else to do. Has he been in touch with you? Would you be interested in acquiring some of his uh, exhibition items?
5: We'd been hearing the, the rumors of uh, Dr. Gloom's potentially impending gloom. And I've and my partners here at First Call pretty much decided, come on down with all that stuff. Yeah, we've always we've always got room for uh, the weird, the bizarre, the strange, the odd, and the unusual. And certainly uh, Dr. Gloom's cabinet of wonders, if you will, that Kunstkammer, is, uh, is something we'd be very interested in. Oh, certainly.
0: It all kind of goes back to that, story that your late partner Dick Horn was talking about, the uh, the snake that killed Sailor Katzie, and then went to live on as an exhibition in its own right, and then after it died, pieces of its skin lived on as an exhibition. That story is such a, a great parable for this genealogy of dime museums. I mean, you think about the American Dime Museum in Baltimore that's no longer, and here you are sitting next to an exhibit created by uh, your old friend and partner Dick Horn. The prospect that Chris LaMartina's curios and oddities may end up here. Nothing goes to waste, and uh, I guess you all do find a way to keep the magic rolling.
5: Oh, yeah. Pretty pretty much the rule of sideshow is is that it whatever you exhibit needs to be able to be thrown out of a second-story window and not break. But once it's finally worn out, if you can't at any level imagine what else to do with it by way of making it an exhibition item, then you trash it. But not, not any time before. It's, it's one of the reasons why so many show people have just trailer after trailer after trailer in their winter quarters filled with just all kinds of wild and crazy crap because you never know what you might need. It's sort of like having a, an enormous junk drawer that occupies your entire property.
0: James Taylor of the forthcoming First Call Paranormal Museum in Havard Grace. You can find a link to it at our website, org slash curiosity. And as for Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities, things are up in the air at the moment, but it is not gone yet. And I've got that link on our page as well. I'm going to turn once again now to this week's listener, Stacy, who I guess we left rather unpleasantly surprised after our visit to the now endangered Crypt of Curiosities. Stacy, what are you left thinking here at the end of this episode?
1: I'm torn. I I still love the Crypt of Curiosities. I love that it's in my new neighborhood. But I love what James Taylor said about it, you know, it always coming back. It, it keeps having a life of its own. These little sideshow things keep springing up elsewhere. So even though I think it's Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosity belongs in Baltimore, it's just, it's bizarre. It's weird. It's strange, just like Baltimore. I don't think I've ever been to Havre de Grasse. I'm still not really sure where that is. Um.
0: Well, you pronounce it like a French person, which is your first mistake.
1: Haber <laughs> de Grace, okay. It's um, nice. It's
0: worth a little day trip.
1: Yeah, but is it bizarre and weird and strange like Baltimore?
0: Well, it will be a little more so uh, by the time uh, this summer rolls around <laughs> with that new museum up there. But um, I guess, you know, the, the fact of the matter is is that uh, Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities is uh, not gone yet, even though things are up in the air, and so you, I guess... Uh, You've got a certain amount of time to bring as many friends and re- loved ones and relatives over there uh, as you can to uh, secure its place in their memory as well.
1: I will definitely do what I can to lobby for it to stay where it is. Um, but if it does have to move, it, it sounds like there's plenty of space for it in haver de Grace.
0: Thank you for a great question, Stacy.
1: Thanks for all your work on this, Aaron.
0: All right, that is gonna wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in Baltimore. Got a question of your own? You can put me to work at wypr.org slash curiosity. And where we go next is up to you. And uh, hey, if you like the show, do me a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a line or two. Your words really do help other curious listeners find out about the show. Appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch, and we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture, online at thepeelcenter.org.